Hey, BJ, I was going to call in about something, but I, I, I can't remember what it was, man. I don't know. I was, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I had something that it was like, whoa, really? I, but I, I don't, I, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I just, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I hope you're having a nice day. Take it easy. Goodbye. Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. That was Joe Richter um, at the top of the show um, calling about something from last episode, although it sounds like he maybe might have uh, forgotten exactly some of the details from last time. Um, <laughs> maybe someone hypnotized him. I don't know. Anyway, um, thanks for the call, Joe. I hope you're having a good day, too. Uh, today's show is going to be about just responded to some calls that have been stacking up. So, um, let's, uh, let's move on to the, to the calls and let's get through them. Hey, BJ Jason here, just pulling a Norton after listening to Carl calling to you in your latest episode. So I wouldn't characterize Paladins as OP is just difficult to play because the whole group has to buy in and somebody, maybe it was Daniel Norton that said this on one of the various podcasts. We've been discussing this, this discussions kind of bounce from podcast to podcast but the the key is if you're going to play paladin everybody in the group has to pretty much accept that and play along with that or you're going to have big problems if you play the paladin right and and so the paladin is restrictive unless everybody's on board to playing their retinue or whatever uh, but i think in cases like that there's nothing wrong with it and they're not necessarily op and they actually bring more difficulties and they bring power if you use all the game rules. Now, if you just chuck the rules out the window and don't have any of those restrictions, then, yeah, I could see where people consider them OP. And, of course, I only speak of Gygaxi and D&D here. I really don't know anything about how Advanced Sun Dragons 2nd Edition 1 handles Paladins, so I, I can't comment on those editions. Yeah, Jason, you're right. In fact, I was the other day looking at because there's been so much discussion about original D&D <laughs> among everybody recently. I went back and kind of thumbed through uh, Greyhawk. And, you know, it introduces two new classes. The, the Well, the Paladin isn't technically a class. In OD&D, it's a, it's a fighter subtype. But And then, then the Thief. And it pretty much says that a Thief has to be chaotic or neutral. And that a Paladin can only associate with lawful people long-term. Um, and may only kind of temporarily even have neutral people around. Um, so it pretty much means that you can't have a long-term, by OD&D rules or by the classic, you know, you can't have a party. You really, there's no way to sustain a party with a with a thief and a paladin in original D&D long-term. Uh, of course, the paladin has evolved to be a little more flexible, you know, in subsequent editions. In 5th edition, there are different types of paladins. So you have your classic, The pal, each paladin takes its own, a, a specific type of oath, to uphold certain virtues or certain principles and live by certain uh, standards. And so you've got the classic paladin, which is an oath of devotion, which is your, your kind of white knight. Um, but then you've got several other types that allow for, you know, there's still restrictions on their behavior, which, you know, people try to look at this loophole like, well, that means a paladin could have any alignments. Like, well, 
you can write in the alignment on your sheet, but if you uphold these <laughs> these ideals for the, of your oath, it's going to really it's going to really pinpoint you in on one or two alignments to choose from, not not the the whole array. If you if you do it in the spirit, it's offered. But um, so yeah, there, there there are different oaths that allow for certain different types of paladins. They're still mostly heroic characters, but they depending on what they've sworn an oath to uphold, they get slightly different powers and slightly different abilities and and have a little more, um, maybe a little more leeway on who they can associate with long-term. Um, my character that I play in Ghost of Salt March is an Oath of the Crown, which means he's not the classic um, uh, white knight, you know, holy war, you know, you know, you know, Boy Scout type <laughs> lawful good paladin. Did you think of he, he's devoted? Um, the oath of the crown is devoted to upholding the ideals of civilization, uh, of law and order, um, and, and justice. Uh, so they're still heroic characters, but they're maybe a little, um, a little more, a little. They're kind of lean a little more lawful and a little less good. Or not not that they can't be good. It's just. If if you got he's lawful good, but the emphasis is on the law, <laughs> because he's an agent of the the king, um, and so his his abilities are all more about uh, abilities to bring the group together and protect the group so they can act as a group, much much like you would expect someone whose whose primary goal is about civilization and order and and collective effort and and. Uh, everybody playing their role and everybody playing their part kind of thing. His, his, his abilities allow him to help facilitate that among the party in combat, along with some of the classic, you know, standard paladin abilities that all, all paladins get. So, yeah, but but I think even, even, even in 5th edition, to have a paladin in the group, it has to be a paladin. You know, you, you have this character who has to uphold certain ideals, which means when other players threaten those ideals or challenge or undermine those virtues or won't, aren't willing to tolerate the fact that, well, sometimes we're just going to have to all go along with our buddy here and help him, <laughs> help him, uh, uphold his oath. Yeah. There's still that it, it's, it is a, a thing that you don't just introduce to the party without everybody kind of being on the same page about what that means. Um, and I think that's true. Whatever D and D or D and D adjacent game you're playing that includes paladins. Okay, this next call is from Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents, and he's talking about, you know, I mentioned that I use a, as a house rule for my OSE game a single saving throw mechanic that I ported in from Swords and Wizardry, but because we've moved back to Fan Fantasy Grounds, now has a, a fully integrated Old School Essentials module that where everything's automated and kind of preset for you. I just, that's not anything you can change from this core. You can't change the saving throw mechanics they're hard baked into the classic, you know, five saves of of, of uh, original D and D. Well, pretty much everything up until third edition used those saves. So uh, we're just going to go back to them because, you know, you click and you roll it, and it's it, it's all automated for you, which is one of the strengths of Fantasy Grounds. So, but Carl has some uh, discussion of single saving throw mechanics in a kind of response to a, a earlier call from Daniel Norton on the topic. Daniel, I knew if you, well, did you know that since you talked about a single saving throw that you would 
get some responses about one of the games that you like to run, um, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. I kind of like how they have a single saving throw that goes up every two levels or so, but then each sort of class has bonuses to a particular type of save. So you have a single saving throw, but then it's modified by your class, right? So like Warlocks, I think, have against Transformation or, and some other things, but... Uh, or you can get you can get magic items that can modify a particular type of saving throw, which I think is kind of cool, and that's why the single saving throw is neat because it's very modular and you can modify it as you need to. Yeah, Carl, I like the single saving throw on as much as it's just a it's a value you know a target number you keep in mind, and then depending on why you're trying to save, that may invoke a a specific ability score or skill or an item that gives you a certain kind of protection or 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 a advantage on something but yeah that is it is I, I i agree it's very modular and very flexible which is why i think it's 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 uh kind of stood out in swords and wizardry and astonishing swordsman and another you know old school games is kind of a, a way to kind of simplify speed up and 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 add a little more surprisingly by, by, by making it a single mechanism, you, you, you in some ways can kind of add a little more breadth to what you can do with it. I think, because it's just a fixed DC based on your, your class and level for, uh, for rolling against, depending on what kind of task you're trying to resolve before, I think way back when swords and wizardry white box had first come out and you just, it was just white box. I think there was even a suggestion of when people had kind of, cooked up a thief class because the, the original white box didn't have a thief class was to use a saving throw mechanic as uh, a, a way for uh you know task resolution for thieves when they would use their classic thief skills as opposed to getting into all the the nitty-gritty of the percentiles so some people like it some people don't i guess some people are probably also indifferent but yeah i like the single save myself so the, the remainder of the calls are about me, my unboxing of the Call of Cthulhu starter set that I that I, I did a, a while back. Um, so the, the, they're mostly going to be from Carl Rodriguez, but I've got one in here from another one in here from Jason. These first two calls, I've got one from Carl and one from Jason about the dice, and it comes with um, what is otherwise a standard set of polyhedral dice, except it's missing a D12, and instead it's got a second... Uh, D100 or percentile die that is a different color from the rest of the set. So we'll have Carl and Jason's comments about that right here. Uh, the extra dice is a new nuance in 7th edition. See, um, hopefully you'll get this and you don't have to read through the whole rules and just trust that I know the rules, but maybe I don't. I don't know. Anyway, the other extra dice is uh, they've used they've kind of used a somewhat of a D&D 5e mechanic where you get a bonus die or a penalty die for advantage or disadvantageous uh, situation bonus die you roll and you take the better of the two tens dice on a percentile uh, penalty dice you take the the worst of the two ten side tens worst of the two dice that represent the tens place in a percentile so uh, there you go. That's what the bonus die, that off-color dice is for. Pulling a Norton to say, you've just presented a very strong case 
to use Eldritch Tales, a Lovecraftian white box role playing game by Joe D. Salvador of Raven Guy Games, because it does use D12s. And any system that doesn't use a D12, well, you know, how good can it really be? And I know I defend OD&D, but I use D12s when I roll. For sixes, I'll roll D12 instead of a six and just. Anyway, that's not helped my case. But yeah, if you want a Cthulhu game that uses D12s, go to Eldritch Tales. Leave that Call Cthulhu stuff to the average Joe. Thank you, Carl, for that uh, explanation of the dice. Um, I kind of figured that was kind of what it was about, but um, you know, I haven't do- dove into the rules yet. I'm looking forward to it. Although I guess Jason makes a good suggestion. I do have Eldritch Tales on the shelf. I've read through it, uh, and I do anticipate wanting to play that game as well. Um, you know, so looks like there's a lot of Cthulhu in my future, in one way or the other, uh, depending on which ones I can get to the table first and how much time I've got. Um, so yeah, I, I love me some D12s, and I, I haven't got a chance to dig through it yet. It's the the printed box thing is probably not going to ship until March or April. But I did get the PDF for Coyote and Crow, the uh, uh, indigenous-themed game that I, I backed on Kickstarter. Um, today, the PDFs or yesterday, the PDFs were released, and it uses D12s. And and you, when they get to the the dice market, specifically for the game, it's just a big box of D12s. So D12 lovers rejoice, and I'm sure I'll have a more in-depth review of that game in the near future as well. PJ, I didn't know you wanted to play Call of Cthulhu. I definitely run Call of Cthulhu. In fact, there's an episode somewhere back there in my catalog where I ran the starter adventure for my wife Amy, like one-on-one. She was like, this is a very this was a very short adventure. Didn't seem very investigative. Um, she wants she wanted something meatier, so we went to uh, other kind of one-on-one uh, type games using Arkham Unveiled, and that's where we're at now. But we definitely started with the starter set, and uh, I still have a couple of adventures to run from it that I might do um, when we get other people to join in at some point. So, again, you know, I've been running um, a sporadic game with uh, Jason and his son, and I ran the famous Cthulhu Invictus a couple of years ago, so... But, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to run something for more mature audiences, so I don't know if that would be something up your wheelhouse. Uh, some of the Call of Cthulhu adventures, I mean, I don't know. I guess it probably depends. I think some of them were a bit mature for the time. Some of the older stuff I was looking back through, like the the anniversary set that they just kick-started. But, um, yeah, let me know if you ever want to play. Or if you want to run, and I will sit back and roll my percentile dice. It's a percentile dice system. There's some nuances, but that's basically it. Roll under skill or under attribute now in the seventh edition. And the sixth and earlier editions, it used to be multiply by five your attribute and then roll under that. But uh, it's a bit simplified now. There's some modular things for combat and chase rules that are spot rulings, but um, pretty simple percentile roll under. I definitely suggest running through Alone Against the Flames. I actually did an actual run through 
play episode of Alone Against the Flame somewhere somewhere in my catalog. I'm not like Jason where at my fingertips I have what numbers that I did these things. Um, anyway, but I de definitely recommend it. It's pretty cool. Hopefully you survive the adventure and the festival. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to keep leaving messages about Call of Cthulhu, mainly because I'm like wondering why you didn't ask us about Call of Cthulhu. Hey, Carl, yeah, I'll, um, yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be great to jump into a Call of Cthulhu game with you guys if I, if, if we can ever make the time and, and, and get a chance to do it. And this is kind of an impulse buy. It's kind of Call of Cthulhu has kind of been on the back burner for me. I've wanted to try it out, but it wasn't always at the top. You know, other things kind of were ahead of it on the list. And this was kind of an impulse buy. I was happened to stop by my favorite game shop for the first time in a while and saw it and decided to buy it and check out the game, finally, finally take the plunge. So, yeah, I haven't. I, I know you guys, I know you run Call of Cthulhu, and there's there's lots of opportunities to, to get into Call of Cthulhu um, to be had if you, if, for, if you just look around and ask. But um, I didn't have any kind of imminent plan to do it immediately, but then I saw this and it was on sale, and I thought, oh, I'll pick that up and take it home and look at it. So, but, but yeah, moving forward, yeah, I'd, I'd love to play Call of Cthulhu with you guys, and I, yeah, I'm okay with the darker, more mature themes as long as it's a game where everybody can play as an adult and <laughs> mind their manners, you know, and, uh, be sensitive to to each other's, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you just gotta you can you can play mature things as long as you play it have a mature approach to it and then can do it with enough. You got to know where the boundaries are and still be respectful and have a little bit of class about it. Don't you? <laughs> All right. Uh, and then we've got here, we've got a few more calls from Carl about the, uh, the solo, the series of solo adventures you can play is just with one player in, uh, in Call of Cthulhu. And interestingly, they have a whole series of alone against the, whatever the flames, there's Alone Against the Wendigo, I think. There's Alone Against the Dark. I think there's Alone Against somewhere in Egypt. There's Alone Against the Marshes. Um, so they're definitely worth, they're really definitely worth getting. And I know James Thoreau does a lot of um, solo play things, but I think they're really good and fun solo play. Um, it was kind of cool. I think, I think my guy's name was Jim Otto, I think I named him Jim Otto, um, and uh, in my Alone Against the Flames, and I'd love to use him again in another game. I think I stuck his character sheet in the box set. What was cool again, Alone Against the Flames, you like make a character as you go, which I think is kind of neat too. So definitely I recommend it. Haha, ha, I found it. I ran Alone Against the Flames, and I recorded my solo play experience in episode 38 during um, RPG A Day Month. So it's probably a little long, so maybe we didn't get to listen to it, or maybe we didn't know each other back then. Um, anyway, if you're gonna play it, don't listen to it first. Um, if you play it, it'd be cool to compare notes. And uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, it'd be cool to compare notes and then see where we go from there. But uh, pretty cool stuff. I'm glad you're 
getting into Cthulhu. One of us, join us, one of us. Oh, incidentally, I could run Invictus, Dark Ages, Victorian, um, Modern, which I think would be more mature themes, as well as 1920s. And there's other uh, areas too. Oh, there's Octoon Cthulhu, World War II. So yes, BJ, to answer your question, we grabbed Cake Okay, and that was a character that Amy liked. Amy does not like to make characters, so she likes pre-gens. But, um, and we ran through the paper chase. I don't, oh, I think that was one of the first, one of the first, uh, games. I think it was, it was a scenario during RPG a day, um, that I ran. It was a recap of that. But then we advanced her, you know, a few years and, um, and got her, you know, through college and medical school. And now she's a resident in Arkham at Arkham Asylum. So yes, it is Keiko Kane, the infamous, as played by Amy. Hey Carl, I, I actually, now that you mentioned, I do remember that, that episode. I, I listened to it. Um, fortunately, I tend to multitask when I listen to uh, podcasts, so <laughs> I think I have deleted or, or enough details have faded uh, that I can probably play through this scenario myself and not not be spoiled to it. Um, yeah, I remember you doing those episodes, but um, the, the the specific details of uh, of uh, both that one and and some of the stuff you did. I know that you and Amy did using Keiko Kane. I, I I remember some of those episodes and roughly what happened, but um, not so much that I probably couldn't play through any of those scenarios as a player and, and not be entertained and su still surprised about stuff. So uh, thanks for the calls. I really appreciate it. Um, and so I want to I want to say thanks to my other callers. Of course, um, Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast, who uh, you know started off the show for us today. Uh, Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And once again, to Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. You can find all those podcasts here on Anchor. Um, really good stuff. I always enjoy their things. I always enjoy getting their calls. It's a great little community we have here. So uh, finally, I want to thank you for listening to this episode. And hopefully, you've, if, if this is your first episode, go check out some of my previous ones. If if you're a regular listener, thanks for for uh, thanks for feeding the algorithm keeping the numbers up <laughs> but uh until then i am out of here i'll be back in the near future with another episode and that's it for this episode of the arcane alienist i want to thank dave bone for the cover art that i use for the episodes check out ironseer.com and the music is come and get it by scott holmes music uh, thank you for listening uh give me a call sometime the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode. <laughs>